0: And I invite you to take out your parish notes. On the back, as many of you know, there's a sermon outline. Grab a pen or a pencil and you are off and ready to be engaged with God's Word. We're all dreamers, right? We all start out school or relationship or a new chapter in our life, believing that it'll all work out, that we'll be happy that will be successful, that we'll be loved. But sooner or later, we hit a wall. We crash and burn. And we get frustrated, angry, depressed, despairing, sometimes faithless. And thank you, Dean, for the clicker that works. (laughs) Like this woman up here on the screens. We don't know what to do when our world ends. What do you do? What do I do when our world ends? Uh, When we didn't get that acceptance letter from our choice university, when they walk out and won't be back, what do we do when a loved one dies? Uh, What do we do? What do I do when our dreams not only shatter, but we realize there's no putting things back together again. What do we do when our world ends? Many of you know we're in the year of the prophets at St. Michael. If you were here during the Advent and Christmas seasons, you were part of the Old Testament book called Micah. Micah. Well, we turn the page now with the new year, and we turn to the Old Testament prophet named Daniel. Daniel. For the next two months, we are going to be looking intensely at the 12-chapter book in the Old Testament called Daniel. I'm calling this series, Thriving No Matter What Hits You. Today's topic, of course, when our world ends. It's based on Daniel 1, 1 to 7. What do you do when that hits you? What do you do when your world ends? How can you and I thrive, right, when a wave like that comes full throttle, threatening to swallow us whole? Daniel helps us. Daniel helps us not only survive the end of our world, but dare I say, Daniel helps us to thrive, no matter what hits us. So we'll start at the very beginning, Daniel 1, 1 and 2. The whole book of Daniel, all 12 chapters, begins with these ominous words in chapter 1, the end of an era. The end of an era. So here it is, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. That would be 604 B.C. Got it? 604 B.C. That's Jehoiakim's third year. Another king came, Nebuchadnezzar. I have such a hard time spelling Nebuchadnezzar. It's kind of hard to pronounce as well. But Nebuchadnezzar is one of the central figures in the first four chapters of Daniel. So we will hear a lot about Nebuchadnezzar. In a third of the book, he's like one of the main characters. And he's the king of Babylon. And he comes against Jerusalem to attack it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It's the end of an era. We know that, don't we? A loved one dies, it's the end of an era, right? Not only close the chapter, you close the book. Children grow up and leave, it's the end of an era. End of a chapter, maybe end of a book. We move to a new town. We start going to a new church. We go to a new school. And it's the end of an era. And Daniel knows all about that. Because you see, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and attacked it... Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and his three friends, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah, and he took those four Judean teenagers, about 14 years old, all the way to Babylon. Daniel knows acutely about (laughs) the end of an era. Jehoiakim... King of Judah means that he's related to the house and lineage of David. Got that? So he's Davidic. Davidic rulers have been on the throne of Israel for 400 years. Imagine that. 400 years we have had a descendant of David on the throne of Judah, and now that's all over. It's the end of an era. It's the end of the Davidic era, and it would appear as though Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he's calling the shots now. He's holding all the cards. He's got all the power. It appears as though Nebuchadnezzar is large and he's absolutely in charge. But let me underscore the word appear. It appears in verse 1 that Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the hill. But look at verse 2. The key to this sermon, the key to the book of Daniel... At the end of the era, there may be other kings, Jehoiakim and Nebuchadnezzar, but they are (laughs) under the rule, the sovereign power and rule of the Lord, who gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. We must believe this. At the end of an era... It appears as though life is random. It appears as though other forces are at work. It appears as though other people are making all the decisions. Let me underscore the word appears. The Lord is the ultimate king. You may have Jehoiakim. You may have Nebuchadnezzar. But the Lord is still on his throne. He is still in charge. He's the one who has the full monopoly of power. He's the one who holds all the cards. At the end of an era, we must believe this because the end of an era (laughs) means God is still on his throne. He's the king. In fact, the Bible calls him the king of kings. Don't forget that. Next couple of verses in Daniel 1, end of our plans. Daniel puts it this way, then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the youths without blemish. So, so these are Judean youths, right? As I said, Daniel and his three friends are going to be selected to be part of this Babylonian indoctrination program. See, and you select youths that have brawn and beauty and brains. Got it? Brawn, beauty, and brains. This is what they want. See, without blemish, good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace. So these Judean youths are going to be trained. They're going to be Babylonianized, if we can turn that into a verb. So they can serve King Nebuchadnezzar and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The literature and language of the Chaldeans would be something called cuneiform. You know how many symbols there are in cuneiform? Over 600. How many symbols do we have? 26 in our alphabet. So I don't know of any teenagers. We got a quite a few teenagers here. How many of you get up in the morning and say, I want to learn cuneiform? You know, there's only about 50 people on the planet who know cuneiform. It is the end of Daniel's plans. He, he didn't plan to learn cuneiform, the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Uh, Daniel didn't plan to live the rest of his life 700 miles away in Babylon. It was the end of his plans. And we need to understand, at the end of an era, at the end of our plans, it always leads to the end of our identity. When our world ends, we ask, who am I? Who am I? we lose our identity. This is what happens. Daniel continues, 1, 6, and 7. The chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. You know them by their veggie tail names, right? Shack, Rack, and Benny. You with me on that? I affectionately call them. You've heard me say this before. Your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. But of course, they're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, their Hebrew names tell them who they are. You need to know that. The Hebrew names tell them who they are. Daniel means God vindicates me. Hananiah means Yah, Hananiah, all right, means Yah, Yahweh the Lord is gracious. Mishael asked the rhetorical question, who is like God? And the answer is, there's no God like our God. And Azariah means Yah, Azariah, all right, Yah, Yahweh the Lord is my helper. But now they have new names, Babylonian names. You see what the end of the world does? It strips us of who we are. Now, who are you? Well, in God's eyes, you're beloved and forgiven and chosen and elect and called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, but at the end of an era, at the end of our plans, we lose our identity. We forget all of that, and we start believing that at our core, our identity is what? A widow. Unemployed. Over 80. Divorcee. Empty nester. Lonely messed up, no, (laughs) we begin to lose our identity too. So at the end of an era, at the end of our plans, at the end of our identity, what do we ask? Why, right, why? Why, God, is all of this happening? And Daniel helps us. Sometimes God ends things to protect us. 2 Kings 25 says, Nebuchadnezzar. Now we got to get our dates right. Remember, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are exiled from Judah to Babylon. Babylon, right? (laughs) In modern-day Iraq, not that far from Iran, right? (laughs) All right? In 604 B.C., these verses would be 588 B.C., so 16 years later after Daniel is exiled. Daniel is like 30 years old when this happens. Nebuchadnezzar is still the big mean bully on the block. He came with all his army against Jerusalem, laid siege to it. He attacked it earlier, 604. Now he's going to destroy it. He's going to besiege the city. Till the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And in the 11th year of Zedekiah, the the last Judean king, Solomon's temple will be torched. Jerusalem will be razed. People will be scattered. And all hell will break loose. And God protected Daniel from all that. Did Daniel know that at the time? No. We don't know it at the time. But God protected Daniel from living through the atrocities of 586 B.C., which included, according to Jeremiah chapter 19, it included even cannibalism. And God protected Daniel from that. So sometimes God ends things to protect us. We may have really wanted that job, (laughs) but God ended that to protect us from someone who is going to do us dirty. We may have really wanted that relationship, but, but it ended, and God was protecting us to, to not enter into massive emotional turmoil. We may have wanted that house. That's the dream house. I got to have that house, but it didn't happen, and God was protecting us from a financial fiasco Why God? Sometimes to protect us. Other times, God ends things to correct us. And we all need correcting. Nebuchadnezzar, as I said, he looms large in the first four chapters of the book. But in chapter four of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, the great Babylonian king, is pictured as a tree. Everybody got that? A tree? <laughs> The Bible loves to characterize people as trees, especially in the Old Testament. So, so God says, chop down the tree. You have to understand that's Nebuchadnezzar. And lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scab its fruit. So, so Nebuchadnezzar is going to be corrected. But not rejected. This is huge, folks. You see, when God ends things, quite often I feel as though he's rejecting me. That I've done something wrong. God isn't holding up to his part of the deal here. No. No. Because look at the end of Daniel 4.15. Leave the stump of its roots in the earth. What's that mean? (laughs) If you leave the stump, there's... A new beginning, right? So sometimes God ends things. He's not rejecting us. He's correcting us. He's making us more humble. And Nebuchadnezzar gets it. Look at this at the end of Daniel 4. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. (laughs) For all his works are right, his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Oh, it hurts. When God comes along and lops off branches and strips off leaves and scatters fruit, it hurts. But he leaves a stump. So God corrects us. He makes us more humble. So why, God? Why is my world ending? Well, he may be protecting us. He may be correcting us. He may also be directing us. The king, this is Nebuchadnezzar chapter 2, gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over Babylon. So, So Daniel, this is just amazing. Daniel becomes the prime minister of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is still the king, but Daniel's prime minister, he's a Mike Pence kind of person. Did Daniel know that when he was exiled in 604 B.C.? Didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. But God ended his life in Judah to direct him. Uh, Look at chapter 5. Belshazzar gave the command that Daniel should be third ruler in the kingdom. Now, under Belshazzar, last Babylonian king, Daniel is secretary of state. When God ends things, sometimes it's to direct us. Every ugly end has a beautiful new beginning. That's what Isaiah teaches, Isaiah 61, verse 3. God changes ashes into beauty. Dust and ashes, that's what Daniel must have felt like when he was exiled to Babylon and learning cuneiform, dust and ashes. Little did he know that dust and ashes would be changed into bounty and beauty. So what am I saying today? Our real problem is not that our world ends. Let me say that again. you got to kind of get this, all right? Our real problem isn't when our world ends. Our real problem is the end of an era, the end of our plans, the end of our identity. That's not our real problem. The real problem is how I interpret that. How do I interpret the end of an era, the end of plans, the end of identity? How do I interpret that? And you see, if I don't interpret it along the lines that my God is protecting me or he's correcting me or he's directing me, if I don't interpret along those lines, I add to my suffering. It's like throwing gas on a fire. I add to my suffering thinking that that this whole church thing probably doesn't work. Or I add to my suffering by, by blaming other people. I add to my suffering by throwing a pity party. And then I've got a real problem. And how do I solve that real problem? Remember Daniel 1 verse 2. I said that's the key to the book, the key of the sermon. It says, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, 604 B.C., the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hand of his enemy, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So what does that have to do with my real problem? How am I interpreting the great suffering of my life? How does that help me at all? Because that's a preview, that's a foretaste, that's a foreshadowing of the Lord giving another king of David into the hands of his enemies. And who would that Davidic king be? Jesus. It would appear on Good Friday. That Pontius Pilate's calling all the shots, right? He holds all the cards. He's he's holding all the authority. It would appear as that Judas Iscariot is in charge. It would appear as though Annas and Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, they're in charge. It would appear as though the Pharisees and Sadducees are in charge. Let me underscore the word "appear," because even on the darkest of days, God is still on His throne. The Lord handed over Jesus to His enemies. That's the consistent teaching of the New Testament. One example, Acts 2, 23. Peter says that Jesus was handed over by the set will and foreknowledge of God. Even on Good Friday, even on your Good Friday... God is still on his throne. He is still directing things. Life is not random. Life is not a roll of dice. The Lord handed Jesus over to bleed, suffer, and die for us. but we know that's not the end of the story. (laughs) Good Friday is never the end of the story. The darkness and death of our lives is never the end of the story because we know the end of the story. (laughs) The end of the story would be some angels and some women and an earthquake and the shout, he's not here, he's risen just as he said. So listen very closely. When Jesus is in our story, it's never the end of the story. When, when Jesus is a part of our lives, it's never, ever, ever the end of anything. Oh, it's painful. Oh, it's dark. But there is always resurrection. Always. So there's a word for all of that, isn't there? And it's God's gift to us. It's spelled H-O-P-E, and it sounds like this, hope. Let's stand and sing about it.